Amen. All right, will you, will you pray with me this morning? Um, Father, we're so thankful uh, just for the privilege and the pleasure of being able to gather together um, with your people. It's so easy for us week to week just to get distracted in the monotony of daily life, just to, to take our eyes off of you for a moment. But um, Father, we're grateful that we have a, a, a privilege and an opportunity like this every Sunday to get together and put our eyes back on you, to worship you with song. Uh, and now, as Lord, as we, as we turn to a time of opening up your word, I pray you'd speak to us. Give us the ears to hear it, eyes to see it. Um, Father, also this day is um, it's a special one for, for a lot of reasons, but, it, but on a day like today, on 9-11, Lord, we remember um, evil and uh, darkness, even done in your name, Lord. We remember um, so many families in this room, people in this room who have chosen to serve, um, chosen to sacrifice. We pray that you administer to them deeply this morning. Um, thank you for their families. Uh, thank you for so many that, that obviously aren't with us. Um, just pray today, Lord, that you would uh, touch those families deeply. Thank you for the opportunity to worship with them. Um, and then, Lord, we pray, just as your word says, for, for all of those in high positions, for kings, for officials. We pray for our country, Lord, that it turn its eyes back to you and that we would follow you and live for you all the days of your life. But just as Coleman said earlier, even if that doesn't happen, that your church would be a light and would be salt as we seek you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, we still have some room up here on the front. Um, it's the spit zone. Nobody wants it. I understand. I'll try not to scream at you too much today. Um, hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Thank you, third and fifth grade teachers, for bringing our kids in here. Um, Acts chapter 2. So if you're new with us or um, haven't been in a while, we preach through books of the Bible here at our church. We chose to walk through a series called uh, God's Story Continued, where we're looking at the book of Acts. So now, after what, six weeks? I don't know how long we've been gathering since August 7th. We're, we're finally going to finish chapter 2. Isn't that great? You know, we're only done with chapter 2. But, but turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be uh, looking verses 41 to 47 specifically. But as you turn there, let me kind of set us up for where we're headed this morning. Um, as I was reading through this passage and preparing for this passage, the question, now what, kept coming into my mind. Now what? So Annie and I, uh, if you don't know our story, we were uh, foreign missionaries for a while, but, but in that time we were able to work with college-age students. And working with college-age students and being in ministry puts you in a position where you're always performing premarital counseling. So Annie and I have gotten our hands wet. We've done a lot of, of, of premarital counseling with this young demographic. And one of the things that we feel our job is in premarital counseling is preparing these young couples for that inevitable now what moment, Right? There's, there's this now what that comes, because engaged couples, and if you're engaged in the room, just try to listen, okay? Engaged couples, just, they just don't think that that moment's coming. All they're thinking about is wedding day, and wedding day is all-consuming. Is, is all if you remember planning your wedding, if you remember watching your friend maybe plan a wedding, it's all-consuming. Florist arrangements, groomsmen's, bridesmaids, pairing things back, um, registering, uh, picking a location, whatever that looks like, it is all-consuming. But as a premarital counselor, our responsibility is to hopefully call their attention off of that wedding day for a minute and help them prepare a marriage, right? Help them prepare for what happens after that wedding day. But they never listen because you can't. You just can't understand that, you know, when you're in that, that, that season. So you have your wedding day. If you remember, it comes and goes like a blur. It's hard to remember a lot of that. Then you get on a plane and you go to your honeymoon and everything is bliss. It's amazing. You know, you're at the beach 24-7, uh, always with one another. It's, it's a great experience. But then when you get back, 
that's when that now what moment hits you, right? You, you go to, maybe you go to your jobs and you think, who's cooking dinner tonight? You know? Who's going grocery shopping? How are we going to balance the budget? All of these like, now what do we do? Moments begin to occur. And that's our responsibility as premarital counselors is to help them. But you think about it with first-time parents in the room. First-time parents, it's a similar situation. You have this nine months of this deep anticipation for the, for the birth of that child. Uh, you're looking at baby name books. You're, uh, you're creating your birth plan. You're creating your schedule. You're reading all the books about what a schedule looks like, thinking that that infant's actually going to listen you know, to what your schedule seems to be. And you're building up for this moment of anticipation. And then you have that baby, beautiful moment. Uh, in the room, the nurses come. They take the baby, give you a little bit of sleep, which is awesome. Come back the next day with that baby in your discharge papers, and you go, what do I, what do, I do now? <laughs> you know, Now what? Do we... I have to take this thing home with me. There's something I have to do. There's this now what moment. And y'all, there's a myriad of examples we could use, right? Life is littered with these anticipatory moments where it comes and it goes, and then you go, now what? Like, what do we do now? And planting a church and and being our lead church planter, I've had this. Y'all, I had a prospectus for us when we planted this church. I had it all figured out. I had watched all the training videos. I had gone to seminary. I had talked to other church planters. I knew exactly what to do. And then we launched, and I was like, what do we do? You know, now what? There's these now what moments. And fortunately for me, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 answers that for us. It answers this now what moment as a church. If you remember the context a little bit, and if you want to go back and listen to last week's sermon, what we've seen is that Jesus in Acts chapter 1 had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter steps up empowered by the Spirit and begins to witness to the gospel, witness to the good news of Jesus, and 3,000 people were added in a single day. Y'all think we have capacity issues here? That is relative, you know, like that, that we're packed out in this room right now. Could you imagine 3,000 people on a single day? I, I couldn't imagine, but I can imagine the apostles going, now what? Like, what do we do now? When there's 3,120 people who are beginning to follow and believe, what do we do now? And what we see the church doing in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is exactly what we are going to do as a church from here on out, really since August 7th, but it's really comforting for us. Now, of course, the, the forms of what they were doing may vary for us today due to cultural distinctives, but the principles remain the same. So my hope is that you can leave here today confident in answering that now what question. What do we do? If I'm part of this church, if I'm here and I'm a believer just as they were in Acts chapter 2, now what? What do we do? And um, what we're going to find is, is not, it's not complex. It's actually pretty simple, these principles we see here. But they are incredibly difficult to apply. It takes a lot of discipline for us. So what are they? I'm going to give you a roadmap for where we're headed today. You Baptists are going to be so happy with me. See all the G's here? I was flowing in my alliteration as I prepared. We're going to look at four principles. We're going to look at the gospel, growing, I mean gathering, growing, and going. Gospel, gather, grow, go. So let's read our passage together. Um, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I know I've mentioned this a week after week. We have some for you. Before you leave today and you, you want to take one of our Bibles, take it. it it's yours. Um, but I will be putting some of our scriptures on the screen as well. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we have in this passage is exactly what Jesus had promised. And I just referenced it in a little bit of the introduction. Jesus had promised the sending of his Holy Spirit. He had promised that his story would continue, that all those salvation was planned before the ages began, and it culminated in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. What Jesus promised is it wasn't in there, that that story would continue. It would continue to spread. It would continue to spread specifically through his followers, through his disciples. And Peter did that. He was filled with the Spirit, and he, he witnessed to, to the life of Jesus. He witnessed to the gospel. And if you want a detail about what that message is, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. I think we have it up on Spotify. Maybe not. Um, at least on our website. But in summary, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he is, in fact, our Lord and our Savior. That was the point of last week's sermon. And that even though you and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, Christ died for us, making us alive together with him. The good news of the gospel is that today, yesterday, tomorrow, there's nothing that you or I can do to earn our place in God's heart, but he took it upon himself and reconciled our broken relationship with God through his son, Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And Peter stepped into witnessing for the gospel, and that's what we need to be about as a church now. Oh, Logan, my batteries may have died, so I may need you. So that's the first principle we find. We have got to be a church that is built on the gospel. The church is born from the gospel. Peter witnesses to the gospel. The church begins to form. And in 1 Peter 1.23, Peter later writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Y'all, that's the church. The church is just people who have been born again by the word of God through the gospel, through the preaching of the good news of the gospel. That's the church. But we also know the church is kind of broken up into two, two categories. We have the universal church, right? The universal church is all believers from all time, living and dead, gathered everywhere. We have the universal church gathering in other places than this right now, all throughout this city. That's the universal church. But what we see in this passage is not a reference to the universal church, but a reference to the local church. The church is local. What happened in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter preached and 3,000 gathered with them that day, the church was born, the local church was born. First Baptist Church Jerusalem was planted in this moment, and it's born by the gospel. So before we really get into the heart of our, our passage today, I wanted to make sure we know that the church is built on the gospel. That's the first point. Let's look on down. We notice that they're, they're doing something. The church is actually gathering, and that's the next point for us today. What do we do now? What, what now? You begin to gather. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Look with me there. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together. There was a gathering that was happening. And if you study that, that verse in the original languages, what's crazy is that you see the word all there, all who believed. It really means all. Like, like, it just means all. There's no special thing about that word. It just means all. That all who believed were gathering together. Every one of them. 3,120 of them. There was this value for the gathering. But where were they gathering? Right? Verse 46. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. We find them gathering in two specific locations. The first is in the temple. There's a corporate gathering taking place. They needed a space where they could accommodate their people, and they were gathering together. They were, they were in the temple day by day. Jewish tradition holds that there would have been at least three formal um, uh, sorry, what am I trying to say? Formal times of daily prayer and the reading of the Torah. So at least three times. We find this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at this next week, but it says that now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. That's about 3 p.m. So what's happening is when the church is born, they begin to gather together at the temple, and that's kind of strange, isn't it? Like, why would they be gathering at the temple? Well, these guys are Christian. Why are they going to temple? Well, it's, a, it's a simple answer. They didn't know any different. They didn't view themselves as Christians. They viewed themselves through the lens of Judaism because they understood that what they were following was just a fulfillment of Judaism. Jesus himself says it. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So these people would attend the temple together and hear the Torah and participate in these formal prayers because they were just realizing it was fulfilled in Christ. They were walking in the fulfillment of Judaism. The point, though, for us is that for us to, to participate in this now what? We, too, need to gather corporately that we have to gather together, a place that can accommodate us collectively. But here's some of these statistics. You know, statistics can, can be telling at times because they can be overstated as well, but I looked at this from the Statistic Research Department for churches in June of 2022. Here, that's just about attendance. It says 22% of American Christians attend church every week. That's a, actually, that's a lot higher than I anticipated, 22%. 9% almost every other week. 11% about once a month. 25% seldom, and 31% of American Christians almost never. Where do you fall here? Like, where is the corporate gathering for you? Because the truth is, it's hard for us to grow into the maturity that Christ calls us to when, when our attendance is secondary in terms of our priorities. Now, I want to make a statement. Oh, I get it. it it's, it's hard. I have four kids. I understand the sacrifice that it takes to wake everyone up, get them dressed, all the things that we could be missing out on, fishing, you know, boating, going to the beach, sports events, I don't, you know, whatever it is, but I, I get that it's hard. But the point that we find in Scripture is that worship, especially in the Old Testament, worship was always synonymous with sacrifice, right? It requires a sacrifice to participate in worship, and it's the same for us today. We have to inconvenience ourselves at times to participate in the corporate gathering, and y'all, that's a good thing. But my heart is not to step on toes. My heart's not to, to hurt anybody's feelings in this, but to just say that there's a value for, for the Lord to be adding to their number, for this growth to be happening. There was a devotion to the gathering. They were gathering together. And let me just say a, a real quick word. Um, y'all, this, what we see here in Acts 2 and, and what we should experience in present day is not the same as a virtual gathering. Um, Watching service online um, has served great purposes, but it's not the same. It doesn't replace, and it can't substitute the physical gathering. We lived overseas, if you don't know our story. We, we lived cross-cultural for about eight years. Um, we were in places where there were no churches. In fact, it would be hard for us to find other Christian believers. We were and are incredibly grateful that our sending church would stream their services online. It gave us a chance to have church. To, to, be, to be filled with the word of God, to participate in worship, incredibly grateful for it, but that just doesn't let us off the hook. It doesn't negate the fact that we still needed to be looking for other believers so that we could gather locally because the church is local. And it's the same with COVID. 
I'm so grateful that, I mean, y'all, so many churches had to turn on the dime to be able to offer their services online. I mean, pastors are exhausted from the work that they had to do through COVID to be able to provide for that. And that is so important to be able to remain connected in a pandemic like that. But, but I, don't, I don't want us to continue to carry the convenience that that offers into our understanding of what the gathering ought to be. Okay? The gathering is local. It's a local body. But, but a, a quick caveat on that. I do know that there are a lot of people in our body here um, all around the city, all around the world, that due to different medical conditions or different ailments can't attend. And again, for that reason, I'm so thankful that we have YouTube. I never thought I would say that, you know. So thankful that that exists. We don't as a church because we're just figuring out how to get here every Sunday. But there are churches that have that, and I'm so grateful for that reason, um, you know, and obviously they didn't have that back then. But point for us, the gathering happens corporately. We need to devote ourselves to the gathering. But the second thing we see in Acts 2.46 is that day by day, attending the temple together, they were also breaking bread in their homes. Okay? They had 3,120 people gathering in the temple, but they also needed space that they could actually get to know each other. Right? It's hard. In a corporate group, even of this size, this is not 3,000, it is really hard to actually get to know one another, to have a space where you can make your needs known and for others to know how to serve you. This is one of the reasons that we have our stay and linger time. If you're new to us, I'll announce it at the end, but we have cookies. People bake cookies every Sunday. It's amazing. We have cups of coffee. It'll be in the dining room after our service, but we want you to stay and linger to hopefully shrink the church a little bit, hopefully make it a little bit smaller so we can actually get to know some other people. And that's what was happening here. They were getting to know one another in their homes. Now, a quick word about community groups. You know, we're getting a lot of questions about when are you going to start up groups? When are we going to have these home groups? And, and I'll, I'll address a little bit of that towards the end of our time. But I just want to say, you don't need my permission to do this. Like, you don't need my permission to invite someone into your home or to begin to get to know one another on this more intimate level. But that's what was happening in this early church. The first thing they were doing was gathering. They were gathering corporately. They were gathering intimately within homes, sharing a meal for one another. But the next thing we see is they're not gathering just, just because they're supposed to. They're gathering with a purpose. There's a purpose in coming together, and that's to grow. They gathered in order to grow. That's the destiny of God's people. It's for us to know him and continually know him, to continue to grow up into him. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll come back to Acts chapter 2. I don't have this on the screen, but, I, but I'll make sure to read it to you. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Paul speaks pretty clearly into the purpose of the church, beginning in verse 11. It says, And God has given to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then look at verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Did you hear some of the, the descriptors of the church? That you need to be built up all the way to full maturity so that you may grow up into Christ. We gather so that we may grow, so we can get stronger. And we do that in two primary ways. Flip back to Acts chapter 2. We're doing Bible roulette here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 we find that they're first and foremost growing by being devoted to the Bible. They're devoting themselves to the Scriptures. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. When they're gathering together, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Well, it's not the New Testament. 
They hadn't written it yet. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doesn't exist yet. We know that the earliest letter written in the New Testament was the letter of James. That was written 14 years after the events of the book of Acts. So what then is the apostles' teaching? If it's not the New Testament, what is it? What's what we looked at on our launch day on August 7th? It's the apostles' interpretation of the Old Testament. It's the apostles teaching the Old Testament in light of Christ. This is what we saw in detail on August 7th. Jesus died, was resurrected, and spent 40 days between the time of his resurrection and the time of his ascension teaching the church, teaching his apostles the Old Testament in light of himself. He was opening up their minds to see that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. So he gave them this new paradigm of viewing the Old Testament scriptures, and that's what they're teaching. When the church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they're devoting themselves to their interpretation of the Old Testament. And we see that that was effective, that that Jesus' Bible study with his apostles in those 40 days, it really sunk in because Peter has quoted Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 in reference to Jesus. That's in chapter 1. And he's quoted Joel 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110 in reference to Jesus, only in chapter 2. And we're going to see that all throughout the book of Acts, constantly quoting and interpreting the Old Testament in light of Christ. So we have to devote ourselves to that. We have to devote ourselves to the Scriptures. But they're also interpreting their time with Jesus, too. Not just what they had been taught about Jesus, but what they had experienced with Jesus, right? Because these apostles, they walked with Him for three and a half years. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. This is why it was so important for them to replace Judas with someone who had been with Jesus since the beginning. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Peter says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. We need people who have been with Jesus from the beginning so that they may teach what they heard from him. They may teach what they saw in him. They heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, so they taught Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. They saw him transfigured. They taught his transfiguration. They heard his teachings, watched him praying. They taught on prayer. The church was devoted to the apostles' teaching because the apostles were devoted to the pure teachings of Christ. So we must be too. And just to ensure that the church could really believe that the apostles' teachings were credible, we read in verse 43 of our text, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Just so that the church could trust that these men were authenticated to be the mouthpieces of God, God gave them signs and wonders and miracles. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul writes, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The true signs, the true apostles would walk in these signs and these wonders so as to authenticate their authority as teachers. God gave them these signs and these wonders. But what about for us today? What does that mean for us now? It means that we have the entire canon of Scripture, that we have the apostles' teachings here, not just their interpretation of the Old Testament, but their letters in the New Testament, because all of the New Testament was either written by the apostle or by a direct contact with one of the apostles. Luke, who was not an apostle, writes in Luke 1-2, and he's the author of the book of Acts as well, says, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they have delivered it to us, right? Luke is saying, hey, I'm credible. I can write this account because the eyewitnesses, the apostles, they've told me everything. 
and I'm writing down for you everything so we can devote ourselves to the Scripture, to the apostles' teaching. So now what? We gather together so that we may grow. Are you? That's the point of application. Are you devoted to the Scriptures? Are you reading? Are you studying? Because in verse 42, it says, are, and they devoted themselves. It didn't say, hey, the pastor, make sure you devote yourself to the Scripture. Who's the they there? That was a weird statement. Who's the they there? The they is you. It's us. It's all of us collectively. All of us devoting ourselves to the Scripture. A few more statistics just about Bible reading. 16% of American Christians say they read their Bible every day. 21% of American Christians say they read it weekly. 41% of American Christians say they never read it. Where do you find yourself? Do you want to grow We have to devote ourselves to the Scripture because all Scripture, as Paul says, is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Paul tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. How do we do that? By devoting ourselves to the Scripture. And y'all, 40 minutes a week from hearing from me is not enough. Me yelling at you and spitting on you, it's not enough. It's not enough for you. We know that Jesus says that man does not live um, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Think about just bread alone for a second. If you had a 40-minute snack once a week, how would, we, how would we handle you? Like, What would that be like for you? We'd probably say you have a, a disorder, probably stunting your growth a little bit, and it's the same in the Word of God. If you're only getting a 40-minute snack from me, regurgitated by me, it's not enough for you. You're going to be stunted in your growth. You need to supplement what we get here every Sunday with daily Bible reading. So where do you start? I would love to have that conversation if that's a question you're asking. Start with a proverb a day. Start with a psalm a day. Start with the gospel of John. Read a chapter a day. Follow along with where we're headed. There's no secret to what we're preaching next week. Start in Acts chapter 3. Read Acts chapter 3 every day this week. On your phones, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. They have Bible reading plans. You can choose one. There's a thousand of them. If reading the Bible through in a year is a little bit more intimidating, they have read the Bible through in two years. It goes a little bit slower, a little bit better chunks for digestion there. So point though, devote yourself to reading of the Bible. You can listen to the Bible on audiobook, on audio Bible. When you're inevitably stuck on Duren because you thought you were going to make that red light on your way to work, Pull up the audio Bible. You can be listening to that. When you're behind the tractor trailers on 95 trying to get off on I-16, which is terrifying. You know that little exit? So scary. You can be listening to the Bible when you're trying to merge there. Y'all, you can listen to other sermons. You don't have to just listen to us. There are podcasts galore. You can listen to some of the greatest Bible communicators our world has ever known just by subscribing to some podcasts. I do. Every, every week when I look at the passage, I'm listening to what other Bible communicators have communicated. Listen to some of them. The point, though, I'm just trying to make is devote yourself to the Word of God. That's what we need to do now. Now what? We devote ourselves to the Scripture. But secondly, we have to devote ourselves to community. If we want to grow, we have to be devoted to community. Again, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That word fellowship is so beautiful. It's the Greek word koinonia. It, it, it signifies this intimate gathering, a communion, a, a true fellowship. It's a place where you can be known and actually know one another. We are so stunted, I think, in, in, in America, our American individual at Christianity. We're so stunted in our spiritual growth because we settle right, for sports, news, and weather types of relationships. That's not what we were created for. 
We're created to go deeper, to live this complicated life with other people. But unfortunately, we've convinced ourselves that we can have community behind a screen. Again, taking, taking some things away, and we, we, we get likes by our posts, thinking that that's the substitute for community. Y'all, we're, we're cutting ourselves short. We're selling ourselves short. Um, over the last several months, Annie and I, when we put our kids to sleep, we have four of them. You've seen them. They're blonde. They're going to be running around here in about, what, half an hour? Um, every time we put our kids to sleep, we've been watching the TV show Alone. Anybody ever seen that? It's a pretty simple premise. They take 10 contestants and drop them off in some of the most remotest parts of the world, all by themselves with a camera. They have 10 survival items, and they have a camera. And uh, if they want to eat, they have to find their food. If they want to survive the elements, they have to build their shelter. If they want to survive at all, they have to defend themselves from predators. It is wild. It's called Alone. We love it. But what's crazy about this show Alone is that around day 30, we've only seen a couple seasons, but around day 30, the same phenomenon occurs in both seasons. They're sitting in front of their camera, and they begin to monologue to their camera, saying things like this. What are we going to do today? Well, we're going to go down and check our fishing lines today and see if we got any fish. We're going to shore up those holes in our shelter because we know that, that winter's coming. Did you catch what they were saying? Oh, they're alone. But they're saying, like, we, what are we going to do today? They start referring to themselves in the third person. And one of the producers actually wrote on the song that they find that in every season because there's this subconscious phenomenon that they're so lonely, they create something they can talk about with somebody else. I mean, anybody seen Castaway? Wilson, you know, it, it puts it in perspective. It shows us, y'all, that what, what's happening subconsciously to them is showing us we weren't created to be alone. We're created to do this life together. And we can have this community. This community is available to us because we are found in Christ. It's built in the gospel. 1 John verse 1 through 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The commonality that we find in Acts 2, verse 44, when they had all things in common, that is birthed out of our commonality in Christ. We have community because we're found in Christ. But community is not just found in Christ, it's shared outward together. Verse 45 and 46, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They're meeting each other's needs. And the only way for us to meet one another's needs is to actually live in proximity enough to know what those needs are. We've got to start humbling ourselves and embracing our need for one another. And y'all, some people are laughing right now, I know, who know me, because I'm the world's worst at this. Like, I'm preaching to myself. Annie and I, we, we spent eight years overseas. We didn't have family. We didn't have community. We didn't have friends. You know what we learned? How to survive. We figured it out. We are the world's worst at making our needs known and asking for help. But since moving here and, and planting this church, this community has challenged us and taught us the value of making our needs known and giving other people the opportunity to actually meet them. It's a beautiful thing in community. But we know that all needs are not just physical, Right? They're not just visible. They're not things that we can meet. They're also spiritual. We need each other to speak into our lives. Y'all, we all have blind spots. And if you're sitting there going, I ain't got a blind spot. It's like, do you hear what I called it? It's a, bl- it's a blind spot. You know? Ask your spouse if you have a blind spot. You know? They'll tell you. We all have blind spots. We need other people to speak into my life. When you're seemingly married to your job and, and your family's paying the price, you need somebody to come alongside you and say, hey, are you aware of this? You need to get home, play with your kids. You need someone to say, hey, are you, are you gossiping? Are you, 
venting? What's going on here? Because it seems like you're building people, I mean, tearing people down instead of building people up. Y'all, you know how prone we are to believing lies? We need people to speak truth into us and call us back to the truth. We have to have other people. We need to live in community. But, but we resist it. I resist it. And, and I know that there's a myriad of reasons we resist this. I'm going to give you four very quick ones. Tell me which one applies to you. We resist community because it's uncomfortable. High, high introvert, where are my other introverts? Okay, it's uncomfortable. Getting to know other people, terrifying. But as we see in most areas of life, you can either have growth or you can have comfort. It's hard to have both. We've got to embrace that discomfort in order to experience community. It's inconvenient. Y'all rarely meeting each other's needs like this is convenient. But we are so conditioned to live into convenience that we don't know how to inconvenience ourselves for others. It's painful. Community is painful. Anybody ever been hurt before? Anybody ever make a, a need known or, or get transparent and vulnerable about how you're feeling or what you're walking through and someone doesn't respond the way that you were hoping to? It hurts. It's painful. But even that is an opportunity for us to grow, to get deeper into Christ as we forgive others, as we, as we cling to Christ in the midst of that pain. And then the fourth one, and, and this isn't super spiritual, I think it's just true. People are weird. No? <laughs> We're just weird. Like, I'm weird. I'm weird. We're all weird people. And if you're going, that's not true. Everybody's so normal. You know why you're saying that, because you're who I'm talking about right now. We're all weird. We, we all have these idiosyncrasies. We all have different backgrounds, different interests. We're just different people, different ages and stages of life. Being in community with people who are different, it's hard. It's hard. It requires us humbling ourselves and actually getting to know people for who they are and not what it brings me or makes me feel. That's what biblical community really looks like. We see it over and over and over again. 3,120 people sharing their needs, living in Koinonia. You think they were all the same? No, they were experiencing biblical community. They were growing because they were devoted to the fellowship. So we gather so that we can grow, but we don't stop there. We don't grow for ourselves alone. We grow so that we may go. We grow so that we may go. We end every service by telling you about our time to linger, get a cookie and some coffee, and then saying what? Go and be the church. We want you to go and be the church. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We don't grow for our sake alone. We grow so we may have favor with all the people that we can go and be the church in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. People were witnessing this, this thing happening in Jerusalem and saying, I want to get my hands on that. They had favor with all the people. We want you to have favor with the people in this community and the surrounding communities. But in my experience, this is where churches really stagnate and really struggle, just, just to be honest. We, we, be, we begin to wither as a people because we, we become navel-gazing. Like we, we value the gathering, and then we start to grow, and we go to Bible study after Bible study, and we read book after book, and we listen to podcast after podcast, and we surround ourselves with each other, and we lose sight that we're growing in order to actually be going. Community groups or home groups, whatever you want to call them, they don't end up replicating. We don't end up inviting outsiders in. We don't meet the needs of communities. We just become cliques. That's not the hope. That's not the heart. We don't grow for ourselves alone. We grow so that we can go and be the church. Y'all, we want you to have favor in this community. We want to serve this community. This is why we encourage you to coach your kids' rec teams. I played five sports in high school. Not one of them was soccer. 
I'm coaching soccer, okay? For two reasons. I am extremely competitive, and I want to win everything we do. Number two is to build relationship with, with our kids and, and with our parents and the fact that recreation was guilting me into it because they didn't have enough coaches. But I stepped into it for the sake of building these relationships. We want you to do the same. Build relationships in this community. Serve on boards of businesses and nonprofits. Serve within the chamber of commerce. Perform random acts of kindness in the community. Serve the poor in the community. Witness as you do. Serve the favor. Build favor with the community. Serve with your lips and with your lives. So it's pretty simple, right? When we look at this passage, we go, hey, that's, that's not hard. Our now what? That's not very complex. But when we actually start to participate in it, it requires a lot of discipline. We build on the gospel, we gather together, we grow so that we may go. And that's what we want to be about as the church. So let me say a quick word as we conclude kind of on roles, right? So many of you have been asking, um, hey, what are you going to do for community groups so that, um, so that we can begin to gather into homes? Many of you have been asking, what are you going to launch some more men's and women's Bible studies so we can actually grow a little bit deeper? What are you going to do for missions, right, locally, uh, internationally, so that I can have more pathways to go? And those are really, really good questions. And of course, as we continue to get our feet up under us, there'll be more pathways and opportunities. But I want to call our attention back to that Bible roulette of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Y'all, that shepherds and teachers really is one word. It's shepherd teachers. That's me. That's Coleman. That's our elders. We're shepherds, teachers of the church. And what is our responsibility? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our job is to equip you so that you can own these now what's. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait on opportunities to be provided. Y'all, you're part of a church plant. It may not feel this, but as a church plant, we don't have 15 years of established ministries. We don't even know who you are, you know? We, we can't let you volunteer because we've got to run your background check. There's some things that have to happen for us to get to that place. You don't need to wait on us. It doesn't mean you can't gather. Obviously, gathering corporately. Um, I'm going to make an announcement in a minute. We're going to have a community picnic if we don't get rained out because, good gracious, the rain. may happen. We'll, we'll stay, stay tuned on social media there, but you can gather with us. It's a smaller setting so we can get to know one another. You can invite somebody that you met today to lunch, to coffee. You can gather together. You can grow. Select a Bible reading plan. Listen to some other podcasts. Read ahead next week in Acts chapter 3. You can grow. You can own that that, that now what for us, and then you can go. Y'all, you have the Spirit of God within you. Think about it. God's Spirit that testifies to the truth of Christ within you. As you go, that's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. That, that Greek is actually as you go. As you're going, as you're going to Kroger, Food Line, Publix, whatever it looks like, Aldi, Costco, wherever you're shopping, wherever you're going, as you're going, be the church this week. Live sent this week. And as we do these, these now what's together, and as obviously more pathways and opportunities open up, I believe that as we gather, grow, and go, what we see in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 will happen. The Lord will add day by day those who are being saved, and that's our heart. So let me pray for us, and then our team will come back up and lead us through a time of response and song. Father, we are uh, deeply, deeply grateful um, for the truth of Scripture. Um, this stuff is not complex. It's not hard. Um, but it is hard to apply, easy to grasp, hard to apply. Living in community is difficult. Um, life is busy. Gathering is hard. Um, but Lord, we just ask for your grace and for your spirit, for your, for your strength, so that we can be the church that you've asked us to be. And, and by that, not just Community Bible Church of Richmond Hill, we ask 
that we, your people, each person here would be your church. They would grow. They would gather. Ultimately, they would go and make you famous in this community. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.